You are listening to the Dalton First United Methodist Church podcast. To learn more about Dalton First United Methodist Church, visit us online at daltonfumc.com. We hope that today's message from Pastor Robin Lindsay inspires and encourages you. It's been a cost. You know, when I was a child, we didn't really do a lot about Pentecost. We didn't talk much about the Spirit. I think it scared us. Well, first off, we didn't call it Spirit back then. We called it what? Ghost. So, you know, when I thought of the Holy Ghost, I either thought of Casper or something that terrified me. And... The Holy Spirit's kind of somewhere in between those two things, as you just heard. It kind of terrified some people, but was something that brought something incredibly friendly and good to us. A couple things I want you to know about Pentecost. First off, when you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, it's true of the Old Testament even more so, but we're focusing on the New Testament now. We forget that it's a library, not a book. And there are 27 different separate units in it, all written over the course of 100 to 150 years. And only Luke who wrote Acts, by the way. He wrote Luke and Acts, two volumes set. They're not together in the Bible, but they're, they're, they're written that way. Only Luke refers to Pentecost. No, no other person makes any reference anywhere. Peter doesn't in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Paul doesn't in all of his writings. Of course, Paul's Paul wouldn't have been there, but Peter was there. Certainly, we heard him preach. But no one else refers to it except Luke. So let's catch a flavor of how we got there. Let's go back, if we can, in time for just a a moment or two. Let me get this so I can kind of tell what time it is. Oh, I got hours. (laughs) I want you to go back first to the crucifixion. And in that moment when when the world of the early Christians who were followers of Jesus was shattered upon the cross because all of a sudden their leader is gone and while they have some vague promises that will make sense in hindsight, they didn't make sense in foresight and they had no idea what was going to happen. Then a little while later, there's the resurrection. Totally unexpected, totally uncalled for, even though now, again, in hindsight, they see his predictions, but they didn't understand them back then. So now, all of a sudden, there's the resurrection, but even with the resurrection, there's, there's an ascension. Jesus did not physically stay on the earth. First off, the entire time he seemed to come and go in some way. And then he said, I'm making a final go here from the back of the Mount of Olives uh, where the ascension was. We don't talk much about the ascension either. Uh, He says, I'm gone and I'm not physically coming back till it's the end. But we'll talk more about that later. 
And so now there, this is where we leave with the disciples. Oh. That's it. What else do you do? Jesus had been instructing them, and the most important thing he told them was wait. Do you like to wait? Do you enjoy not knowing when it's going to happen? Whatever it is, good or bad, either waiting for the hammer to drop or waiting for something exciting. I mean, people tell you that. I remember as a child, my mother used to say, oh, Robin, waiting for Santa Claus is the most exciting part. And I thought, no, it's not. <laughs> Getting up Christmas morning is the most exciting part. But I guess mom got mixed up. And then it came. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared. They were just together. Now, why were they together? They were together, first off, because they were scared and kind of gathered together. Our son that's got our grandchildren, he and his wife, they've got ducks now. They've got ducks, chickens, and quails. Why they have them, God only knows, and he's not talking. I, ducks are the dumbest things on the planet. They're called runner ducks. They don't fly. But you throw them out in the open. They throw them out in their yard. They don't have to worry about them going. They're always two inches apart from each other. They never separate. And if you want them to go with you, all you have to do is pick one up and the others will follow you wherever you go. If you jump off a cliff, they'll jump off a cliff. And so that's when you're scared, you get that. And I can see that the ducks are a little squared. They quack a lot. And, and so that's the way the disciples and the followers of Jesus, including Jesus' family, were. They were gathered together, but they were gathered together for more than that. They were also gathered together for worship. It was Pentecost. Now, quickly, let me tell you, there are three major festivals in the Jewish faith. You probably know this, but I'll remind you anyway, because I did the research and I might as well share it with you. First one is, of course, Passover. And that's the time that Christ died, was right after Passover. And then you come forward 50 days. Well, you're looking at that one. Five, zero... No, that's zero five. Five, zero. Fifty days you come forward and you get Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50. But what you need to know is that in the Bible you will see that called, except in Acts 2, not Pentecost, but in the Old Testament, you'll see it called the Festival of Weeks. W-E-E-K-S. In other words, seven weeks and one day, seven times seven, 49, one more day is 50, seven weeks and one day after Passover, Jews are to gather together in Jerusalem and celebrate 
the first harvest, the early harvest of the barley. Uh, they have two growing seasons in Israel, an early one and a late one. Because the last festival is called the Festival of the Tabernacles or the Festival of the Tents, and it occurs in the fall, and it is somewhat similar to our Thanksgiving. It's when you celebrate the full harvest of the full thing uh, of, of the summer growing season. But we're back at Pentecost. Pentecost, and what that meant was if you were a male Jew within 20 miles of Jerusalem, you were required by law to be at Pentecost at the temple. If you were further than that in the diaspora, the, separate, the spreading out of the Jews after the persecutions, then you just came to any of those festivals you could get to. And so at each one of those festivals, you would have a large international gathering occur. And that's the group that Linda so eloquently read to us. Now, these were Greek-speaking Jews because they were out in the Roman Empire on the eastern side, all those places she named in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. The western part of the Roman Empire spoke Latin, but the eastern part of the Roman Empire, the official language was Greek. And so they have come together at that moment. We will never know exactly what happened. I mean, obviously somebody told Luke, probably Peter himself, what happened at Pentecost. And Luke has written it down, but we have struggled with understanding exactly what that thing was that occurred. We know people spoke to each other from other countries who spoke other languages, and they understood each other clearly. We know that. This is not what they call speaking in tongues. That's glossolalia. That's another story, another sermon for another day. Get out of 1 Corinthians or something. 14, I think, is where it is. This is just people understanding each other's language. And we know there's a powerful movement. We know that it was so strange that people on the outside and even those on the, some of those on the inside thought, well, they're just drunk. They've understood this festival wrong. This is not a drinking festival, but somehow they've been drinking. Didn't work that way, Peter said. He stood up and said, they're not drunk. He said, I want you to know that this is the fulfillment of the book of Joel. Now, book of Joel is one of those that except the Pentecost, we almost never hear anything about. It's got all this stuff about locusts eating up all the plants and things like that. It's only four chapters long if you want to read it, but it's a little weird. I don't mind telling you. This comes out of the second chapter. And it talks about, the whole book of Joel talks about the day of the Lord. And that's critically important that you understand what the day of the Lord is or you won't understand either the prophet Joel or Peter's sermon. The day of the Lord in Jewish theology was when God would come back and do a final judgment on the earth. 
So everything up until the present moment was always called the present age, even though it may have happened thousands of years ago. It's still called the present age because the day of the Lord had not occurred. Somewhere in the future, that would be what was vaguely called the new age or the age to come. And the transition point was the day of the Lord when God would come down now, we have drawn that into our theology. What is it? What's the day of the Lord in Christian theology? Somebody got it? Second coming. Second coming of Jesus. That's, what, that's our day of the Lord. The day of the Lord in the Jewish theology was full of terror. You heard her read blood moon blood and sun turned to darkness and all that stuff but in our christian theology we said yes for some people it may feel like that but for us it's the coming of christ and now it's tied up with the coming of the holy spirit for us all of a sudden that which is eternal drives a wedge down into our temporal lives. All of a sudden, that which is infinite drives a wedge down into our finite lives. All of a sudden, the day of the Lord is upon us and that God is now present through the Holy Spirit and now we begin to sense something and it changes lives. I referred to it in my Easter sermon right here in this pulpit that Peter went from being a coward who denied and betrayed the Lord to a man who was courageous and spoke boldly even to the point of asking to be crucified upside down. That's the Peter's right here as you see the beginning of the new Peter, the new man who was boldly speaking for Christ. But it's what Joel says that we must hear. And why Peter quoted Joel and how significant it is for the church today. The first thing Joel said is, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You see the word all? A-L-L? -L? There it is. All flesh. I'm not pouring it out on a certain group of people. I'm not pouring it out on a very limited group of people who are now more important and special than other people. I'm pouring it out on the all flesh. There are no limitations to it there. We need to hear that today. And then he concludes, Joel does, the passage that Peter quoted with when that moment comes, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not some, 
Not the people I like or agree with. Not the people who look like me or think like me or act like me. He says, every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that was said some five or six hundred years before Jesus came and offered it to us. The salvation of faith in Christ. It was promised. Peter then refers to it. If you read Acts closely, it's 28 chapters long. It's kind of long and it kind of bounces around in the. You kind of get lost. But the first 15 chapters are this battle within the church, this confrontation within the church, this confrontation of who's going to win. Because there was the Jerusalem church, not all of them. Peter came out of that Jerusalem church. But in that Jerusalem church, there were a group of people who said, well, no, wait just a minute. If you want to be a Christian, you have to fit within this narrow category. In fact, it was so narrow that at the beginning, it was just Jews. Nobody else. There's no point for mission work. Why would you go tell a group of people that are born to be condemned about Jesus? They can't possibly know him. Jesus came as the Messiah of the Jews and nobody else. And so there was that faction that fought and struggled and confronted and demanded and interrupted meetings and, and all kinds of controversy about it. Finally, they backed off just a little bit and then the, they came forward again with a proposal. Okay, well, everybody who follows the law, even if they're proselytes, proselyte was a Gentile who converted to Judaism. You were never really truly a Jew. You were a proselyte, which meant now that you were, but you were following the law. And so by following the law, they said, okay, then we'll sneak you in. If you'll follow the law completely, absolutely, utterly, then I guess you can come in too. But if you're reading those first 15 chapters and you read Peter and Cornelius, read that, find that chapter, chapter 10 or something like that sometime. And then you hear about Paul and Paul going out from Antioch out into the mission field. You'll see, led by the Holy Spirit, these two men continued to push those boundaries back, to push them back. As others tried to set limitations on the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Peter and Paul said no. And it came to a head in the 15th chapter. And Paul basically said, and Peter basically said, you can set what rules you want. God sets no rules. God sets no limitations. And I want you to understand that this is not something we've made up. People say, oh, you just made that up. You've changed things. This is not the way it's supposed to be. You've changed Scripture. And Peter says, it's in Joel. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And everyone 
who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It, the, I didn't write that, Peter said. It was written hundreds of years before I was born. And there it is in your word, your scripture. So don't talk to me about limitations and limiting God's grace. It shall not be done. It cannot be done. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.14, For he is our peace in his flesh. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. He was talking about the battle between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. He says, through the Holy Spirit, I want you to know that wall has been broken down. But what are we doing today? We're doing it both politically and the secular world. We're doing it in the church. We're building brick walls as fast as we can make the mortar. We're building walls and building walls and building walls and building walls and said, I'm within this wall. You're on the outside of this wall. Stay away. And I can hear Peter and Paul. I can hear Peter at Pentecost. He says, oh no. You misunderstand. Did you not hear what the Spirit led me to say on Pentecost? I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let us do no more wall building, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us tear them down in the Holy Spirit. And may we speak a universal language of love. I did watch Pastor Stephen's first sermon, so I know what he said. The language of love.